Hello and radio. Hello and welcome to Authentic Messengers. My name is Catherine Van Wetter and I will be your host today. Every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, I have been interviewing different authors from our new and released book, Life Sparks. All of these interviews have been archived, so if you miss one, you can go to www.blogtalk forward slash authenticmessengers.com. Please also go to our Facebook page at AuthenticMessengers.com and leave any comments, thumbs up, anything that you would like to leave would be wonderful. And thank you so much for joining me today. And today I have the privilege of interviewing Melinda Kapoor. She is a dual American and Italian citizen with a degree in sociology from UC Berkeley. Melinda works as an intercultural consultant. She is a go-to person for daily living information, home search and referrals, and partner at IC Solutions. And she also shares many of her writings and photography at melindacapoor.com. So welcome, welcome, Melinda. It's wonderful to talk with you. Thank you, Catherine. It's nice to be here. And I know you're far, far away. You're over in Italy. So what is the time difference with, well, what time is it there for you? <laughs> it's, it's midnight. It's a minute after midnight. So, but I'm kind of used to this time change, talking to people in the States. So it's, it's cool. I know we have a nine-hour oh. time difference. Yeah. Well, I I really appreciated the conversation that you and I had several months ago when Authentic Messengers was first launching, and now here we are with the new book. So I'm excited to catch up with you and see how how your life has continued to unfold, and um, it'll be wonderful to let listeners know how who it is and how it is that you actually found yourself living in Italy because I know you used to live in California what prompted you to move to Italy if anyone had ever told me I would have left my home state I wouldn't have believed it I was um I mean and I will always consider myself a Californian but there was that first trip to Europe that I took and it just changed everything um I just it enriched me so much, um, this experience. So I, I just said I, I wanted to move. I wanted to leave. But other things happened, too. It was um, things happened in my family that kind of, I would say, sparked that. And it's funny, after this book, Life Sparks, you know, I, I realized that I used the word probably more than I did before. But it, it's so appropriate for really what happens in life. Um, so it was, again, that first trip to Europe, and I became mesmerized with the culture. I went to the former Yugoslavia, where my paternal grandparents came from. And when I returned to the States, I said, I have to get back. I didn't know how I was going to get back. So I looked up Yugoslavia in the phone book, and I found a Yugoslav travel agency, and, and I walked in and asked for a job, and I got a job. It was interesting because I hadn't worked in that field before, but sometimes I think, you know, if you have a motive or you have a desire to do something, opportunities appear. Oh. And you said you applied for a job. What sort of job did you apply for? Well, in this Yugoslavian travel agency, I just walked in in San Francisco and I asked uh, if they needed anyone. And he said it was very small. And he said, sure. And within months I was managing the agency and, 
And in a few months after that first trip, it was probably about maybe 10 months, I was back in Dubrovnik again, this time by myself, but I was kind of in charge of a few tourists. And, and at, soon after that, um, I won a trip to, to fly anywhere that this airline, particular airline flew. And I asked my younger brother to go with me and asked him if he'd want to go to Yugoslavia to see where our grandparents had come from. And he, he agreed. And that was a, a, a wonderful trip. A year later, wow. he passed away. So I guess I want to encourage people to, you know, you have to grab opportunities when they come because, um, there's an expression that I, I like. It's a Chinese proverb, and it's he who hesitates often misses his opportunity. So I think that in life, sometimes, you know, when we kind of hem and haw, and, and this was the case when my father asked me to go. He wanted to take me to Yugoslavia, and I was young. I was a college student. I said I didn't want to go. I had a boyfriend and a job and, and other things I was thinking about, and and my father passed away, you know, a few years later. So, and, and I regret that I didn't go when I had the chance. So anyway, I just think life is to be lived. You've got to grab it and live it. And, and then sometimes when we're thinking about should we, could we, would we, you know, we, we miss a chance. So, but everybody's wow. different. I want, I want to stress that, you know, not everyone might feel comfortable doing what I did. And everyone has a different um, they're courageous in different areas. You know, when someone says to me that I was courageous to do what I did, I, I don't think of myself as a courageous person. I mean, if you talk about downhill skiing, I'm scared to death. So, you know, it all, it all depends uh, on what the, the challenges, I suppose, are belonging. Yeah. Well, I'm curious when you moved, um, and thank you so much for sharing. When you moved and finally settled into Italy, did you know people there, or did you no, travel with someone, or you went by yourself? Well, it when um, and you know it's funny how life. When you look at life in retrospect, it's it's they're like it's like domino effects. You know, one thing leads to another, that leads to another. But you can't we can't see it at the time that it's happening. We only see it looking back. But um, that third trip, when I went to Yugoslavia, to Dubrovnik, um, a man that I had met before and and our relationship deepened, he asked me to meet him in Paris. And at first I thought, oh, well, I can't. And then I thought, well, why not? You know, I had already decided I was going to leave California. So I was going to move to Boston or Florida. I wasn't sure. Um, so I went home and I got my things in order and, and put things in storage and I, I sold my car and I went to Paris for three weeks. And I, I honestly knew there was no future with this person, um, but that didn't stop me from wanting to have, as they say in Italian, the story or, or the love affair. You know, um, I, I wanted to have this experience with this person, which I will always treasure, wonderful memories. But he had to go back to his life. I couldn't live in the then Yugoslavia. So I had decided, well, where would I want to live? And I thought of Italy. I'd never been to Italy. And it was kind of confirmed because when I was still in Paris, it was like I, I dreamt of a voice that just said, go to Rome. So I decided I would go to Rome. I really was living by the moment. It was kind of kind of funny in retrospect to look at it, but... I, I took a train um, to Rome by myself. I didn't know anyone. 
there. I didn't speak the language. I had no job. And on en route, uh, you know, I stopped to see a college friend in, in Zurich. And from Zurich, I took this train. And I thought, you know, I was conserving my, my pennies. And so I thought, well, I'll take a night train because then I won't have to pay for a hotel for one night. And I took a first-class car. And here's something about the intuition and what happened to me was that I sat in a first-class compartment. At the time, the trains were made like little rooms. You know, it's not like today where the trains all opened up, but the European trains were like little rooms, and there would be a corridor. And I sat in this one little room, and this fellow came in, and immediately I didn't like him. I mean, my heart started racing, and, and I heard, like in my head, you know, a voice that said, get out of here now. But I ignored my voice, that voice that I heard, and I was kind of rationalizing, oh, don't be silly, you can stay awake, you know, you only have three hours, so the, he's getting off in three hours. And again, I, I, this is at nighttime, and it's only the two of us in the car. And as, as within the first 45 minutes, I, I asked him, I uh, just said, I would really like to read, please. I was reading Time Magazine, and I remember that so clearly, I was reading Time Magazine. And he said, okay, read this. And he handed me a newspaper article about a man um, raping a woman. And I said, oh. what did you, I said, what'd you copy this for? And he just looked at me with his, his hands folded on his stomach. And he said, I copied it for you. And at that point, I just jumped up. I just about oh. got to the door. And I said, I don't want to see you. I don't want to be near you. And before I could get the door open, he, this man hit me. Knocked, knocked me over, but um, I swear I must have a guardian angel. I got the door open, and the conductor who had just passed, I said to him, you know, I, I was just in a state of shock. I said in English, he hit me, he hit me. And the man started cursing about me in English. I mean, saying horrible things about me, horrible. Um, and then I knew he was saying the same thing in German. The conductor did not speak English. And we're, this is talk, I'm talking about the early, this is 1982, so that's a long time ago. And there weren't a lot of women traveling like there are now. There are more traveling today. So um, to make a long story short, they made him move to another car. But there is a nice point in this story is that I moved into another compartment with all these Italian businessmen, and I just sat there and wept. I was so shocked about what had happened. And I was encouraged to get a sleeping car. And so moving to the sleeping car, there was a conductor. And this is the nice part of the story. I think every story has something nice in it. So I, yeah. I asked the conductor, I said, do you speak English? He said, no. And he said, parlez-vous français? I said, no. He said, parlez italiano? I said, no. He said, frequency Deutsch? I said, nine. And then with my limited Serbo-Croatian, I, I asked him, I said, rezumeti srpsko-horvatski? And he said, da, ja sam he was Yugoslavian, so he could speak to me. I mean, I could tell him in my limited language, you know, what had happened. And this was a kind of an eye-opener for me in that when you learn another language, no matter how limited your vocabulary might be, your world opens up larger. You know, it's, you become, your world is wider, and communicating with people just becomes greater and that that was kind of a, a learning thing for me. So I feel like I'm talking too much, but anyway. No, so I, did, no. I, I arrived in Rome and really, you know, very frightened. And um, 
some other things happened that in, you know, was so important when I look back at the time that that lesson I had to listen to my intuition, to listen to that voice, to listen to that feeling. And I think I, that protected me as I went along because other things happened and it was, um, I, I started to get almost like kind of, uh, what's the word I want? I don't want to say freaked out, but I was really becoming, I think I started to send out a vibe of being afraid, which is, but, but I was determined to stay because the more I saw uh, in Italy and Europe and Rome, Rome and the antiquities are, are just amazing. It's the more I wanted to stay and the more I wanted to see. So it just, and I am still wow. here today. So it's kind of funny how things wow. happen. Well, and, and I'm amazed that, I mean, that story in and of itself is so horrifying and it's, it sounds like you also had at least one ally on the train who was able to support you and give you safe haven. How did you, after that, because you mentioned that there was, you heard your voice, you heard your inner intuition um, say, you know, get out. It's not, these aren't the words you said, but it's not safe. Leave. That's what it said. it was like shouting at me. It was like my voice, this inner voice was uh, my voice, someone's voice. It was shouting at me, get out now. And, you know, I, again, it was this rational. It was like I was having a conversation between myself or whoever. And um, yeah, that was, that was a big thing for me. I, I think we are all intuitive except that we somehow in, in the, educational system that we have the standard educational system it's it's just suppressed but you know as young children we're very intuitive and somehow along the way you know the older we get even creativity can be suppressed you know um and i I think if it were encouraged more that that people are taught children are taught to recognize and use their intuition along with their intellect that we would be such powerful beings Mm-hmm. But I I often have said to to anyone to just listen to that it, either it be a voice or a feeling. In fact, I, I read recently about a policeman who worked with victims of crime, and in every case he said that they felt before that they shouldn't have done something or they shouldn't have gone somewhere or they should have been. They had a feeling before and they didn't listen. So anyway, wow. that's basically yeah. I think it's so important to listen to that that voice that we have it's really um our connection to the divine i think and that we are protected and if we will just allow it i can get off on some tangents catherine <laughs> i just go off on well no it's following here. because it's all i think it's all got its red i mean part of it is you following your intuition to move to a place that was drawing you in even though you didn't know why and even the the strong intuition you had on the train. I, I'm curious, do you use your experiences um, as you're living in Italy now to in part help others begin to really focus in on their own intuition and to trust themselves or how how has all of this shown up in your life in regards to how you're of service to others? 
Um, absolutely. In fact, I, I often help train people who are moving here or get them ready. Um, I worked with a, an international school for five years as their intercultural liaison. And helping people, I mean, I think as, as Americans, we in general, we're very friendly people. So I would I encourage others to be more cautious and not, not to go in afraid, but to really listen to that um, you know, the world is a big place and everything is done differently wherever you go. We all, as human beings, have the same desires for our families and loved ones. We all want what's best for them, you know, but, but there are completely different ways of, of living and viewing life. And even though we have the fundamental desires as human beings, we, we, there are different cultural experiences completely. So I think it's important for anyone, um, now I'm going into what I do with the intercultural training, is that you become observant of how things are done in another country. And if you're observing things more, you can also take more things in. But sometimes with enthusiasm, you know, um, people will come and they're just like, I, I think they, um, you know, let me put this correctly. It's, this isn't the United States. This is, um, and, and even though Italy is more and more like the United States, especially all the years I've lived here, I can see that there's, um, the world has become more homogenized in cultural things, you know, with music and even with clothing. But there's, um, Americans tend to be very, very friendly, and other cultures tend to be more reserved. And sometimes here, friendliness can be misinterpreted for interest of, of something that someone's being friendly and they're not really showing that they're interested in this other person, and, but it's misconstrued that way. So I would especially advise young women when they were traveling to be more reserved. I think that's hard, you know, especially for me as a Westerner. Westerners tend to be very friendly people. Um, but I, I had to learn that and I've become more reserved that way. So. You know, it's, it's interesting as you're talking, when I think about our own, um, environment here in the United States, and I've mentioned this before in lieu of, of what's going on politically with the polarization that's happening and, the issues around immigrants and migration and and helping refugees, et cetera, and things that are starting to happen here in the United States where in some ways it feels like there's such an installation of fear. You know, there was recently um, a bombing that happened back east and immediately Mm -hmm. it was referred to as a terrorist attack. And I, you know, I think about, your comments on how Americans are in the Western Hemisphere seem to be more friendly and open, and, and I'm wondering in lieu of, of what's happening um, globally and then specifically within the United States, if more people are shrinking away from that friendliness and getting more into fear and wondered what you've noticed um, from your viewing from where you live now into what's currently going on within the United States? Well, uh, here in, in Italy in particular and Greece, and they have been 
they have taken in many, many immigrants, you know, they're, they're rescuing them at sea. And I, I'm happy to be living in a country that has that kind of humanity, you know, that these people are rescued because some other countries are not accepting them even when they're floundering at sea. Um, but the rest of Europe uh, is, it's closed right now. You know, the borders are closing and they don't want to help with this influx of people. It's, it's like this time that we are witnessing, um, I feel that we have to think of more of ourselves as people of the planet and not so much as people of individual nations, that we are all, all human beings and we're all in this big boat of life together. I, I really, it's, it's a difficult subject. I, don't, I really don't even know how I can... When I see it, you know, I'm seeing it outside the window. It's when I was, I was just in the States for two months and it's not as prevalent. You don't see it like you do here. And, you know, all of us, most of us as Americans, we are children. Our ancestors were immigrants. And in my own family, my, my father's family was Ellis Island. My mom's family was Mayflower. But I mean, I'm just, I feel like I'm this American mix. And it doesn't matter if they came 200, 300 years apart. They're, they were immigrants. They were looking for a better life. I, I think that's what people are, are struggling for. They're looking for a better life. We cannot imagine as, as a population what has driven these people from their, their homes. I mean, it's horrific. It's horrific. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think we it, – it's hard to have the comprehension you know, I've lived here more than 30 years now, and there's always, always, always this stuff about World War II because it's so, even though it's 60, 70 years ago, it's still so um, gone over, you know, what happened. I, I am, I, I really, it's something that, that just goes to the deep of, of my soul, this whole struggle of humanity. Um, the fear is, is not a, a good thing at all because we, if we can imagine ourselves in their shoes, and, and it's hard to do that if you never had any um, experience in that. You know, in the United States, we have everything, in the, and there are people who do without. I know that too, but... Gosh, you really, this is, I'm going off on another tangent too. I, I don't know. It, it's something that disturbs me greatly. I don't think that we, you know, being fearful is one thing. Being wary is another. And, and when I will um, consult people about being wary, the biggest problem in Italy is, is theft. You don't have to worry so much about harm to your person as much as, you know, someone might steal your wallet or something that that is just the way it seems to be here but it it's i think maybe increased because there are more desperate people not putting the blame on any certain population but theft has always been a, a problem here um yeah. but you know that and you're aware of it and it's i think we all have to be kind of aware of our surroundings now we live in a in a, a different world than we did 20 years ago um but even even 20 years ago, I mean, when I was first in Rome, there was a bombing, a terrorist bombing at the TWA counter in the airport. So terrorism is something that has gone on, I think, is forever. 
but we just mm-hmm. kind of the intensity of it. And I was just saying to my husband, there was a program on television, television, you know, talking about mass murderers. And I'm thinking, why, why is this stuff put on TV? Why does, I mean, I don't think, I don't think that, I think there should be more responsibility in, in the media of what is shown. I'm not talking about news programs so much as, as the movies and, and, um, and bringing up past um, horrific murders and things that happen. It, there, there are always those copycat um, yeah. crimes, you know, I, I don't think that, I think we should need to, to fill the airwaves with more positive stuff, you know, um, things that are enlightening. I don't even like to, to listen to the news. And I think if you want to feel good in today's world, yes, you got to be informed, but you can't dwell on the negativity. Right. Um, and, and it feels it's so much, again, going, going back to the atmosphere here in the United States because there is so much news that is, is not uplifting. A lot of it is repetitive. Um, there's even repeat stories. You know, it's, I, I do tend to, on my own computer, I'll kind of check to see what's going on AOL or MSN, and but I'm not on it very long because I notice that it it creates the slow erosion of um, of being happy and that sense of well-being. And I was also struck by your earlier comment with how many you know we are a very young nation here in the United States. We're one of the youngest nations compared to the other countries, and all of us for the most part are. Are immigrants, and it's it's really kind of a, a head scratcher to think about how there can be so much dismay over the immigrants coming in. Yet the majority of us are immigrants as well. So, um, well, I appreciate I, you. I, I was going to well, comment that the United States is a great experiment, and I in the years I've lived here, I have seen Italy change. It used to it. It's changed completely, and it's becoming more multicultural all the time, as is, as is the rest of Europe. I don't know if you ever uh, remember that movie, Independence Day. I guess it came out in the 90s, and, and how the world was united because another planet attacked, you know, attacked the world. Sometimes, God forbid, you know, but sometimes I think that's the only thing that would unite us is, is something like that, because we are all human, and... And I believe that that this is just one lifetime in many, many experiences of ours. Mm-hmm. I think we've all been everything before. And if some, there's one book by um, Brian Weiss. I can't remember the title of it in particular, but if you, you don't know Brian Weiss, Dr. Brian Weiss, who is um, a graduate of Yale and Columbia, a psychiatrist who by chance um, when he had a patient she started to talk about past lives and he went on to study this and he has, he has hypnotized and worked with thousands of people. But in one of his books, he progresses, he puts people into the future, future, not just regresses them. And this stood out, this story of a woman who um, was, who hated Arabs. She was Jewish in this lifetime. And when he, um, he worked with her and regressed her. And as it often happens in her last lifetime, she had been a SS commandant 
who hated the Jews. This time she's Jewish who hated the Arabs. And so he progressed her and she found out lifetime after lifetime, she was going to be something, be what she hated. She became what she hated, but then she hated someone else. And she realized that she had to break this pattern that if she didn't break the pattern, she could go on for, for eternity like that until she got the lesson. That's something that I've noticed in life that the same for me, the same thing will keep happening to me until I just say, okay, what's the lesson here? Because, you know, it's like a different scenario. It might be a different cast of characters, but it's fundamentally the same lesson. And until I, I realize what the lesson is, you know, and learn it, it just keeps happening. It's something to think about if somebody says, oh, you know, this always happens to me, you know, that someone tries to cheat me. Well, what is it that about you that that seems to happen? Is it that you're projecting that, that you think someone's going to cheat you? And it, it's really interesting. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in many ways, people working within the same paradigm. Um, yeah. You know, there's in the beginning. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. In the beginning of your chapter, there's a beautiful quote that is to venture causes anxiety, but not to venture is to lose oneself. Can you, can you talk to me a little bit about how that quote spoke to you and what you would like to share with the meaning around it for you? Um, That in particular, apart from, moving physically to another country, but that quote in particular struck me in because I've wanted to write for a very, very long time. And, and I was really afraid, I suppose, to put my, myself out there, you know, to put myself uh, to speak up. And when I say speak up, it's not just in the written word, but even speaking on a show like this. And, mm-hmm. and that it's, but not to honor that. Yes, that can be fearful. I'm putting, I wish you could see me because it's very, I'm putting quotes around the fearful here um, in the air. But, um, you know, not to do it was causing me more anxiety. I felt a lot of internal unrest until I mm-hmm. finally put pen to paper and said, I'm going to do something. And it started off with a chapter. And Sparks has been a chapter for me. It's so much more than a chapter because it, it, it's a way of, of putting oneself out into the world and saying, yeah, you know, I feel this way. I'm this way. Maybe I can, someone else will relate to me. And that's kind of, um, see, now I'm going on my tangent again. This is the way I work, though, Catherine. I'm like a tree, and I go off on one branch and another, and I just build <laughs> this beautiful tree. But, yeah, going back to that quote, it really struck me um, finding my voice. That's what that was about. But I always, um, you know, I felt like when I had the opportunity to go to Europe, I was thinking I didn't want to have any regrets. I imagine myself being 80, you know, and sitting, you know, in California and someplace in a rocker and, and thinking, well, why didn't I have the courage to do, to go overseas? Why didn't I have the courage to take up someone up on that invitation? So, um, yeah. Well, it was, I really love how it's, there's never any accidents, you know, as you're speaking right now, and as you say, you're the filling out of the beautiful tree, um, and our beautiful tree of life of, of how we move through our own life and refill up 
and we fill in the different areas of our life where they may feel hollow or they, they need more life breathed into them. And just struck by, by what you said in regards to the quote about that the inner, the inner agitation or the, the part of you inside that wouldn't let go, that, that disillusionment in some ways, and I put words, maybe they're not the words that you would use, that when we don't listen or follow our intuition or our higher voice, the anxiety that can result can can keep one awake at night. And you and I mm-hmm. spoke a little bit just for a couple minutes before you came on to the show. In some ways, it feels like so many folks, and I can say so many folks within the paradigm of my own eyes as I look out into the world, myself included, are going through tremendous shift and change where things aren't feeling the same or things may not be as satisfying and that that inner urging to sit down and write or get out and talk about what's important and to recognize that by doing that, it's really being of service not only to ourselves but all those who may have lost their way and wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit more about what I had just what I just said. Uh, I think that that is so true that when about losing, you know, if we don't act on, on those inner feelings, it's going to be, at least for me, it was almost like an inner itching and it will even wake me up in the morning that I had, had to do something. But I think that those moments when we have that kind of um, angst or, you know, that, that, uh, inner turmoil that's often when we feel that way it's off we're often on the the point of change you know when everything's going well and everything's you know just going smoothly and kind of maybe even ho-hum if you think about it it's those those times of um, anxiety that causes change sometimes the anxiety can come from a lack of money or it can be a lack of self-fulfillment or whatever there's many many things that can cause it but it's often, in a way, if we started looking at those moments as, as an exciting time, oh, wow, I'm feeling anxious. Maybe something's going to change. You know, it's, um, it's some, a different way of looking at it. But we often take those moments of unrest like something's wrong. Well, something is not really wrong. It's just that we're growing. And maybe those mm-hmm. are, are growing pains. Um, so yeah. so how, how would you suggest rather than fighting up against it, maybe it's it's faking it till you make it. Oh, boy, I'm feeling really anxious and on edge right now and really don't like what my life looks like. <laughs> Woohoo! I'm going to go for the big, the big jump. Do you have, do you have well, I, suggestions on that? I, I, I think when you, when you're, as you get older and you realize, I mean, we are, I know we're all aware that we are only on this planet for a short time. But as we get older, we realize that it, it's shorter all the time. And, you know, what do you have to lose? I mean, when I was younger, I, I think I was um, probably more concerned about criticism from others. And, and there's always going to people, be people who don't agree or who do agree. And that's what makes us interesting because we're not all the same. 
I would just tell somebody, just follow your heart. Listen to that voice. If you have a yearning to sail, do it. If you have a yearning to, I don't know, to, to climb the Alps, just do it. I mean, listen mm-hmm. to those yearnings because often there's something there that that is, I don't know, it's like we're made with so many different layers and there's something there that you need to touch on because it is part of you. That yearning is part of you. Um, I just think that, that life is, is such a gift and so much of it, I'm speaking from personal experience, can be blown just by, by worrying or being anxious. I mean, how many times have I worried about tomorrow and I blow today because I worried about yeah. tomorrow about something that never happened anyway? I've learned with age to live very much in the present because this yeah. moment, this moment right now that you and I have is not going to come back. I mean, it's already gone, you know, so that I, I've just learned that probably the hard way. Um, and that was a good lesson. That was, I feel that that was a, something I accomplished because we, we just blow so much time and um, waste so much time with the worrying and even when we go back to the story of the immigrants and the fearfulness, you know, often what we fear doesn't come to pass unless we really, again, we have this thing about drawing things to ourselves. But it's interesting. I went to a conference and, I, you know, I can be judgmental. I think that's probably something of, I mean, something of my nature I don't like too much. And I was kind of grumbling about to my friend about other people at the conference, you know, just silly things like, oh, look at him. He put his backpack in the corridor, you know, that's so sloppy. I mean, just silly things, really. But everyone I grumbled about, I ended up meeting face-to-face and talking to. And I was thinking I had to have a good laugh at myself because, you know, it's so easy to complain about other people and you don't even know them. You don't even know them. You don't even know where they're coming from. You know, he put right. his backpack there because it was difficult for him to put it elsewhere. You know, but it's, it's, it's interesting how we're all so quick. I'm saying this in generalization, but people are quick to criticize and not to compliment, not to look mm-hmm. for the good. And, and we don't, and you know, and Catherine, I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent again. I know you asked me what I would advise people, and I don't even know if I advised anyone. I think I went off on one of my tangents. So, No, it's, well, and, you know, you said a good point, and it'll be interesting listening back at this. I'm sure it was, it's going in the perfect direction that it's supposed to be going in. As you're talking with not giving people benefit of the doubt and going back to when we have these urges inside or these nudge, nudges to do something else where we feel disgruntled with our life, I've often noticed that when I don't give others benefit of the doubt, I'm being a very harsh critic to myself and spinning myself into a frenzy of hopeless, helpless, and the next thing you know, you know, it's going down that dismal path of no return. And so it's, especially now, it feels like it's so important to really look at where we may be reactive in our stance towards others and reactive towards our stance with ourselves and recognize that we are truly going through a time of evolutionary change. It's, 
mm-hmm. apparent with with so much happening, and we are in some ways being forced out of the smallness of who we think we are in order to soar like the phoenix and um, to to know That's that so there are, there are folks out there who can use our support and um, with your chapter and for those listeners, it's so exciting that our book Life Sparks was released a few weeks ago, and it is available on Amazon, and there are various book signings that are going on throughout the United States and different parts of the world. Wondered, um, Melinda, if you would talk a little bit about, about your own chapter, A Big Move, Embracing the New. I recognize that we probably covered a lot of what the premise of the chapter was, but wondered if you wanted to focus in a little bit in the next 15 minutes or so that we have on the show. Um, I I think when I say that focusing on the new, I mean, again, it goes back to what is, is good for somebody. Everybody is different. I really want to stress that. I don't think that what I did is for some, everyone and, and maybe it is. I mean, we all have these different challenges and desires. But, again, talking about um, living so much in the present and doing what's right for now. Um, this has come up again in, in my life, and it came up with once with my son. And doing what was right for the moment with his education, I had a huge discussion with my husband at the time. Um, my, my son was in the Italian school system and it wasn't the right fit for him because he was young and a young, a December boy, and he was always going to be one of the youngest. And my husband, uh, the discussion was, well, um, we're, I'm a product of, he was a product of public school, as was I. Um, I wanted to put my son in, in um, private school. But my husband said, well, it's in five years, we don't have the money, then it's going to be devastating for him to have to go back to a more rigid and structured school system. And I said, we have to do what's right for now. You have to do what's right for this minute for now. And we ended up putting him in in a private school. And as things turned out, five years later, there wasn't the money. And I took some of his college money that I had put in stock and I sold the stock. And within weeks, you know, I I actually put it out to the universe and I said, I made a statement, thank you for providing me the means to keep my son in that school. So I sold the stock, paid for the next year of school, which was first year of middle school. And within a few weeks, I was offered a job at the school. So that already cut the tuition to be very affordable. And, and as irony would have it, um, that was 2001. And as you all remember, after the horrific event in, in September 9-11, um, the, the market fell. If I hadn't taken that stock out, that money would have been lost because it would have, it would have been gone. So that is kind of an example of, I think, living in the moment and, and doing things, what's right for you in the moment. Um, trying to, we live in, our world is changing and it's so fast. And really all we have is this moment. And, and I think opening our, our hearts to other human beings, I'm not, I know there are all sorts of problems that, that come, come with that and that have to be resolved 
I just think that there is fear is is not the answer. Fear um, again, being wary is one thing, but fearful is something else. I read recently uh, about a person who was talking about from in African countries and some Asian countries. It's a sign of respect not to look at the other individual in the eyes. So, mm. so people sometimes for us, you know, I was taught you always look someone in the eye. You can you look someone right in the eye and you speak to that person. But mm-hmm. for us, so if we if someone doesn't look at us in the eyes, we think that they're shifty or they're not trustworthy. But actually, they're showing a sign of respect. So right. that's that's a cultural difference. That's um, Another thing that I, I grew up in um, an agricultural area, and there were people from India. I'm not sure of I think of what um, religion they were from India, but in their language, they did not have the words for please and thank you. And so we used to think they were so rude. But once I learned that they had, if you don't have a word for please in your language. How do you understand what that really means? Or if you don't have a word, you know, the term thank you, can you understand what that means? I mean, so it's, there are cultural differences again right there. And trying to understand that from another perspective. Um, going back to, to the chapter, what else I had, I had said in there. And Catherine, maybe you could remind me what I said in my chapter um, I, I think it's, it's just like when you, when you find something that's challenging and, or something that draws you, instead of becoming fearful about what if, what if, or, you know, putting all those things in that could or might happen, you know, it could be that things turn out beautifully. I remember years ago, I was in the dentist's office and I was reading like one of those magazines, like Red Book or something while I was waiting and there was a story in it, and, and I wish that I could um, give the name of the author who wrote this, but of course that's, it's so long gone, and I, I, didn't, I don't remember her, her name. But she, her, the story was about a young woman, and she could settle for something, and, and the sense of the story it was a relationship, and she called the relationship Jell-O. It was, so, it was safe and sure, and she decided to go off in, in life and experience new people and, and new um, events in her life she said life is it I want my life to be like souffle she said it might not work out but if it does it will be extraordinary so I kind of I cut that out of the magazine I carried it with me for a long time and it was a difference because if I had stayed in my home state which I still love so much but in a way it was like my jello it was safe and sure it was something that I was comfortable with Instead, I chose the souffle. I put myself out there and, you know, it was scary in the beginning, but I was kind of determined because it was the more I saw, the more I wanted to see, the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. And if I hadn't done that, I would not be where I am today. I would not have the man in my life that I have. I met him in Italy. Um, I would not have the son I have. I would not have these incredible relationships that I have, my friendships, because as an expat, you know, you, you meet people from all over the world and you're, my friendships have become, I'm so blessed 
with the people who have encountered in my life. And wow. I guess what I want to say is just whatever it is, don't, be, don't let fear be the thing that stops you. Don't let that stop you. Be it talking yeah. to someone new, someone who's, who's from another country or whatever. Don't let fear stop you. Just have faith and, and go for it. And it really reminds me, as you're talking, some of the, the, the age-old wisdom of, um, from Stephen Covey's work of seeking first to understand to rather than making the assumption that so-and-so is whatever way just because we don't understand or don't understand the language even down to whether we look in someone's eyes or not to, to recognize so much than what than what we realized. I'm reminded as you were talking, I used to teach positive discipline and, and some of the ways that um, some of the ways that children because of how they take in information or people in general, this is a neuro linguistic term that we have different what are called predicates, different ways that we take in information. Some people are very visual, some are very auditory, some are very kinesthetic. And just because someone doesn't look you in the eye, and this is not a cultural thing, this is just kind of a generalizing, doesn't mean that they're not listening. It may be that they're auditory and they can't listen if they're looking in the eye. And then we can get into the complications of cultural differences and rather than making the assumption, why not seek first to understand and then have the dialogue flow from there. So it's, it really, again, is such a, a brilliant time to bring forth those areas in our lives where we may be quick to judge when we really don't understand what's going on necessarily that, with the individual. That's so true. And it's so it's it's so true. It to try to accept people for what they are, and everyone has their own path, and everyone is on their own learning um, journey. And it's you know very easy. I'm speaking again from my only. I only can speak for me. You know, to judge somebody else. I mean, well, why do they do it that way? I mean, I wouldn't do that, or I haven't done that. You know, making these comparisons, but. We don't walk in someone else's shoes. We can never, never know what it is for somebody else. And to make these kinds of judgments, um, you know, it's just, we're not, we can't know. We just can't. And I think we have to have some more compassion, more Mm -hmm. compassion. And, but still, and when I'm saying this, you know, it, it's, um, it's, there's always a balance in everything. You can have great compassion, but you also have to have self-respect and, and yeah. compassion for oneself yeah. because we can't, um, that's something I have to work on too. You know, I, I often think that many of us are harder on ourselves than we would be on our, our worst enemy, you know, where we can be very critical of ourselves. So Usually, it's, and you mentioned this before, if we're judgmental of other people, it's it's usually because we're that way to ourselves. So interesting. Yeah, you know, and I think of some, I think, again, of some of the, the political scene that's happening now and the subsequent media and the reactions that are happening across our nation um, with not 
necessarily having um, role models that are speaking of compassion. Instead, it's it's making very judgmental statements that are hurtful and going out into the ethers. And if we really recognize that the words coming out not only will affect whoever and whatever it lands on, but also us when we spew out those awful words of judgment and hatred and anger and rage, it works on us as well. And um, so it's <laughs> it's a time to really be very self-selective of words and to practice the impeccable the impeccable self-care so that we may be walking images of, of the change um, as Gandhi talked about with being the change that we want to see. So it's that's so true. That is so true because, you know, I think that uh, the violence that we're seeing at some of these political rallies, you know, and, and I think it's because people are coming from a fearful place and, because people are afraid it's easier to strike out and and that's it often too we have to be careful not to have this victim mode you know it's not other people causing our problems but how we react to the world ourselves and once we can understand that you know it's um it's so easy to blame someone else for all my woes but but I chose this. I chose things that I need to learn. But, you know, I think that in the, how we all are in our evolution, I want to say, of our, our self, and as we go back to our source, you know, I think that we, um, we're all on, on, it's like fruit on the tree. You know, some fruit is mature and some is, is immature. It doesn't mean where one is more, valuable or worthy than the other they're all the same it's all the the same tree and all the same fruit but it's just different levels of um, maturity and when I see people react in some of these um, these ways I think that they're I think that they're young and they they don't know any better Um, when you look at and that's what compassion Right. Even to have compassion for those that have no compassion. You know, yes. I, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just going to kind of end up with this last, this thing. Uh, when I was in college and I remember I really hated bigots. I mean, I was, I just couldn't stand bigots. One day I realized I was a bigot against bigots and I started to oh. laugh and I just thought this is so funny because you see what we dislike and we often have it in ourselves. So we all have, you know, the light and the dark and the, and the, we all have it. It's just that we have to learn how to control some aspects of ourselves. So anyway. Yeah. And, and knowing that, knowing that we're also showing our children and those around us to walk our own talk and to be one-hearted rather than two-hearted with making sure that our words and our actions are in alignment and that we speak with kindness. Um, There's a wonderful, there's a wonderful practice that um, Deepak Chopra suggested to people years and years ago. And it's a practice of taking the the oath of nonviolence towards self and others as a way to, um, 
really begin to notice the the violence that we often will implode on ourselves with the way we talk to ourselves or the behaviors and then with the the violence that we put out towards others with our words and with our actions and um, if not you, who, you know, as far as making mm-hmm. the change of, of where we're moving in this world. So, oh, this has been such a wonderful um, time with you and I'm so grateful Melinda for you know you being up it's almost one o'clock a.m. your time and you, <laughs> okay, you sound very awake and your voice sounds fresh because <laughs> I know you mentioned <laughs> that kind of having a scratchy throat so I've just really appreciated our dialogue today and hope someday that we'll be able to meet each other that would be really wonderful to well, be I'm able very to meet ha- you. I'm very happy for this connection, and I, I think that, you know, we, it all starts with ourselves and how we yeah. change the world. It can even be one person at a time, but it's ourself and, and loving, as you mentioned, loving ourselves and projecting that into the world, just showing kindness every day. Just, it doesn't take a lot to make this a better world, honestly. It really no, doesn't. It We've been just a little every day and mm-hmm. and I really believe it can start like like a, a big ball rolling and we have to allow yeah. this to I always believe that love wins in the end so love I wins in the that. end and I'm sending you huge amounts of love from here um thank you and back right back out to you. you thank you, thank you and Catherine. thank you Thank you so much, and thank you, dear listeners, for listening in either the live or through our archive show. Um, Next Thursday, again, the months are going by so fast, I always seem to say in astonishment, next Tuesday is September 27th, and I will be interviewing Nancy Mills, who is the founder of The Spirited Woman, a global women's empowerment community. She's recognized as a leading woman's visionary, and she publishes The Spirited Woman, which is the top 12 pick list, and is the creator of the Sisterhood of the Sacred Scars, combining scarf and ceremony. She is also the founder of The Spirited Woman Foundation, whose mission is to help heal and support women through actions of empowerment. Nancy is also known for her inspirational insight and her ability to inspire women. So please join us. Not able to, you can www.blogtalk forward slash authentic messengers in order to be able to listen to the archive shows. If you are interested in being considered as a co-author for another Spark series edition, you can go to authenticmessengers.com. And please check out in your area if you have a book signing there for our new book, Life Sparks, and check out Amazon and good care of everyone be kind to yourselves love each other and dear melinda for being on the air and thank you Catherine. good night and big hug good night big hugs to you take good care bye thank you bye-bye